way that you enthusiastically greet one another. That's an evidence of uh, just the genuine love that exists in this room. Brings me a lot of joy. Um, It is a joy to welcome you here on this Easter Sunday to be able to open up God's Word. It's always a privilege, but um, I mean, several people mentioned this in the parking lot, so I just thought I would share it with you. I mean, uh, people are hyping Easter as the Christian Super Bowl now. So um, there, there were people I thought that were going to chest bump me as they were walking in. So, um, but the, the, the reality is this is what holds everything together, but it's not hype, right? I mean, this isn't just mere excitement. There's a little bit more energy in the room. There's a little bit more people in the room. But what we're talking about is the greatest hope that we have in the world. And this morning, we're going to look at the resurrection from First Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere near you. And this morning's passage can be found on page 1014. 1014. First Peter chapter 1. So the, we're going to be talking about all morning this idea of hope. We are hardwired for hope. There's no one in this room that has too much hope, right? We all desire and long for hope. And Jesus is the only source of true hope. And what I want us to get our minds around before we jump into 1 Peter is that it's not a blind hope. It's not just a leap in the dark. Um, There was... An empty cross and an empty grave. Jesus Christ was physically, literally, and bodily raised from the dead, right? He rose and ascended into heaven, sent his spirit on the earth. And now the only reason that we're in this room this morning is because the good news of Jesus has spread all over the world. So we join our voices with countless other voices around the globe saying, Jesus is alive, Jesus is our king, Jesus is our treasure, and him being alive changes everything. Now, over the last few months, I've been reading the book, um, Who Is This Man? by John Ortberg. And he does a really good job. If, if you are exploring the claims of the Christian faith and you're looking for uh, some compelling arguments, I would recommend this book. If you are a guest, I think we have some copies of this for you at the book table this morning. But in this book, he talks about the invisible ways that Jesus has shaped in particular, Western culture, things that we tend to take for granted, things that seem invisible to us but are loud statements of who Jesus is. The first is, how many of you picked up your iPhone this morning to check the date, right? The, the date is measured, what, 2,017 years from what? The birth of Jesus Christ, right? Before Jesus Christ came on the scene, like the date that we people, how they would tell time would be in reference to a different kind of political leader, a Caesar, a king, an emperor. But now, because Jesus Christ is alive and he was raised from the dead, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and all date and all time is measured in according to him, right? The way that women and children are treated and valued. Now, this is something that's especially important to me. I think we've come a long way as a country, but I think there's ways that we can grow. But listen, at the time of Jesus, women and children were simply afterthoughts. 
But because of the teaching of Jesus, women sat at Jesus' feet. They were disciples. They were trained, right? And, they, and, and to be honest, if you read the accounts of Scripture, it's the women that get it more often than the men, right? And so the teaching of Jesus changed the way women and children were valued, All the advances that we have in science and technology. The universities that were founded when this country was first um, birthed. All of those things came from the doctrine that Jesus taught that we're to love him with all of our hearts, all of our soul, and all of our mind. The thing that there is an absolute truth and his name is Jesus. So science is born. Jesus is the most painted person in history, though no one knows what he looks like. Right? All of those are ways that Jesus Christ has shaped the world that we lived in. Listen, there were 18 people, at least, that we know of in history that were going around Israel at the time of Jesus who claimed to be Messiah-like figures. But we only know the name of one. Why is that? It's because there was an empty grave. It's because he is alive. We know the name Jesus Christ because he physically, literally, and bodily was raised from the dead. And he appeared to over 500 people at once. And his message has continued to spread. Listen, why does Christianity continue in the face of persecution? Why does Christianity continue to flourish in parts of the world where literally believing in Jesus can cost you your life? Why does Christianity continue to grow and spread despite the inconsistencies of Christians? I mean, if we're honest, if you're a church folk, you understand that oftentimes the church is the worst enemy of itself, right? How come that message continues to grow and to spread? It's because Jesus is the most irresistible person the most loving, the most merciful, the most kind person that's ever existed in history. Jesus is hope, and we're going to look at that from 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Now, the reason that we're standing is because these words are different than my words, right? These words are inerrant, these words are authoritative, and we stand to place ourselves under God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace And peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, so much right now standing underneath your word and this living hope that you have allowed us to experience and that you are offering to every person in this room afresh this morning. I pray that you would cause your word to be performed in our hearts. Father, I pray that these would not be simply words on the page, but they would accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it, that we would experience living hope regardless of the circumstances that we face, regardless of how we view ourselves in light of Jesus Christ being alive. To do that, we need you to send your spirit to help us to understand your word. We need you to send your spirit to cause this word to produce fruit in our lives. I need your spirit to help me to proclaim this word to this church that I love. But we have this confidence that you love us more than we can ask or imagine or even think. And you will act for the sake of your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to talk about living hope. The first thing that we're going to look at this morning is living hope for exiles. The resurrection is Jesus coming alive from the dead, and it is God's loudest possible statement to every person in this room that he is not finished with you yet, right? This is the loudest possible statement that God can make that he's not finished with you personally, He's not finished with this city, and he's not finished with this planet. Now, this letter is written by Peter, who was a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And it was written, if you'll notice, to the elect exiles, right? Normally, an exile is a person that has been displaced from their homelands, right? Someone that's kind of akin to a refugee. But the people that Peter is writing to, they're they're not physical refugees that have been separated from their homeland. They're spiritual refugees. Because the world that they live in now, they live in this tension between living as a citizen of the kingdom of God with Jesus as their king and living in the tension of trying to love a broken and a fallen world. And the, the key to living as an exile is having what First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 describes as living hope. See, not only are these folks exiles, but you and I are exiles. Because there's one step that we take that's inside the world and will be loved by the world when we try to love them with abandon. And then there's another step that we can take and we try to love the world and we'll be out of step with the world because we have a different value set and a different king. That necessitates the need for living hope. It's the tension that we live in between the promises that God has given us and the fulfillment. 
It's the tension that exists living as an exile between loving people with abandon and being taken advantage of them. That kind of life, when we follow King Jesus, there will be persecution, there will be suffering, there will be trials, there will be disappointments, there will be failures, and all of those things necessitate a hope that exists outside of us. And that hope, his name is Jesus. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So this is talking about living hope. This is the theme of the entire book of 1 Peter. But it's a lot easier to talk about hope, quite honestly. To speak about hope. Maybe to sing songs about hope. Maybe to put on a happy face when we talk about hope. And live with a sense of quiet resignation. That the story that we're living out is the way that it's always going to be. Right? The life of an exile. Someone who is one step in step with the world and one step out of the world. That requires something that goes beyond us. This living hope. Now, one of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. How many of you are familiar with that film? Right? I've grown to appreciate this film more and more over the years. Um, at first, when I first saw it, I just thought it was like my first graphic experience of prison life. Um, but the more and more that I've reflected on this film and thought about this film, it's actually a film that's about hope. Right? It's a contrast between two characters— Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, and Red, who is played by Morgan Freeman. Both of these inmates develop a friendship, and they have radically different views on the world. Andy Dufresne is a person that is absolutely innocent of the crime that he was accused of, and he was in prison, yet he never lost hope. He walked around the prison yard as if he was in a different world. But Red... He was the character that befriended him, said that hope was a dangerous thing. Hope could get a man killed. But this is what Andy said, and I I love how their friendship grows over time. He says, hope is a good thing, maybe the best thing, and no good thing ever dies. So by the end of the film... Red begins to pick up on the need for hope, that you have to have something to live for that's greater than yourself. And so Andy leaves like this map that leads Red to Mexico, and all the way at the end of the film, Red's words echo hope. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope I can see my friend again. I hope I can shake his hand. I hope the Pacific Ocean is as blue as I thought it is, right? Hope is necessary to live out life on this planet. And the good news is that Jesus Christ has hardwired us and designed us for hope. Now, hope, as the Bible describes it, is not wishful thinking. It's not, I hope I can go to Europe sometime in the near future. It's the thing that you are banking on. It's the thing that you are building your life upon. And it comes to us through the new birth. 
So this living hope, hope is alive, hope is living because Jesus is alive. Hope will never die because Jesus is alive. As long as Jesus is alive, hope will live for you. That means there are infinite new beginnings for you. There are infinite new, more, new mercies that greet you every morning because Jesus Christ is alive. So what is the source of this living hope? It says that we have been born again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Right? This should instantly make you think of your story. You can think of your story in terms of hope. Like you've, If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there was a moment that you were without God and without hope in this world, but the loving and tender mercies of God appeared to you in Jesus. I mean, I remember being a 20-year-old young man, and I remember wrestling. I remember coming to an end of myself. I remember I mean, I had a religious upbringing, and I remember trying to change myself. I remember trying to read the Bible, and I remember trying to pray. And there just was a moment where I said, God, if you do not change me, there's no way I can change myself. And at that moment, something radical happened to me. Hope was born, right? It's not as if I don't ever struggle with not having hope, but there is this never-ending, ever-replenishing ray of hope that is born because of Jesus Christ. And it says that we are born again because of his great mercy. God has great mercy for people, right? That's what Easter Sunday and Good Friday are all about. It's not as if he just has like a little bit of mercy. It's essential to his character. He is a God that is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. He's the one that produces salvation for his people. It's who he is. He has great mercy. If you are hearing my voice here this morning, he has great mercy for you. This living hope comes to us because of his great mercy. Now I want to Slow down for a few minutes, and I want to apply this to the stuff of life. I want to slow down and apply it to the place where we live. We have a living hope. So hope is meant to live in us. Hope is meant to shape us. And hope is meant to flow out from us into the world. So Slade mentioned it already in the announcement, but this is a pretty good definition of hope from in Christ alone. This is what it means to have hope. Tell me if you would like to live this way this week. No guilt in life. That's hope. That's living hope. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. This is the good news. There is no guilt in life, right? So how many of you woke up more aware of your sins and your failures and your shame this morning? The message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is there is no guilt in life. And then there is no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. This is the hope of the resurrection. This is living hope that can come and dwell inside of your house. This is hope that can come and resurrect your marriage. This is hope that will change the trajectory of your life forever. This hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And this hope is looking for you this morning. His name is Jesus. So let's look at living hope 
that comes from verses 6 and 7. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what does living hope mean for you tomorrow morning? Living hope means that the bottom is not the end. Living hope means that the bottom is not the end. Now, there is a version of the Christian life um, that is almost intuitive to most people that thinks that the Christian faith goes from mountaintop to mountaintop and you steadily increase you know, you might have a, a few minor disappointments in there, um, but really it's just this upward trajectory that we're on. But the reality is if you look at the truth of Scripture, if you look at the life of Jesus, if you look at the life of church and humans in general, right, there are times that you are going to be on the mountaintop and there are times that you are going to be in the valley, in the pit. And in those moments, the only thing that will bring us up is knowing that being at the bottom is not the end, right? God's grace and his great mercy meets people at the bottom. Those are the only kinds of people there are. People that are at the bottom that Jesus comes and looks for and pulls them up out of the pit so that they experience salvation. See, living as an exile in the world means that we are vulnerable, right? We live in a world that's still fallen and broken in many ways, where people get sick where diseases still exist, where marriages fall apart, where children rebel, where financial hardships are reality. All of those things necessitate living hope. I love that this letter is written by Peter, and he's the one to give us this message of living hope. Like Peter writes about living hope because Peter needed living hope. If you know his story at all, Right? He was the disciple that said, I'm never going to leave Jesus. Like It's me and Jesus until the end. I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but Peter was in that place. And Jesus said, um, I, don't, I don't know how to break this to you, but um, before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no. He said, if everybody else leaves, he's like, I'm sticking with you, Jesus. It's me and you. And, but just as Jesus predicted, Peter left Jesus, he denied him like he was afraid of a little girl. He started to call down curses on himself. And in Luke's account, it says that Peter in that moment locked eyes with Jesus. And I'm sure in that moment, he was acutely aware of his failures. He was acutely aware of his shame. He was acutely aware of being separated from Jesus. But now you fast forward Peter is an apostle and he's writing to people with a broken heart. People that have lost and buried loved ones. And he's saying, listen, there is a living hope. What he's saying is that failure is not terminal for the Christian. That you can be at the bottom and that does not mean that it's the end. His story is that Jesus came to restore him and to build him back up. And he set him in a place of hope and he set him back up in a place of ministry. And I think somebody needs to hear that this morning, that your failure is not the end of your story, right? 
The resurrection means that failure is not final. Now, a, a couple of months ago, my wife and I were on a, a getaway, and we saw this picture of a, a gigantic rooster. And it reminded my wife of her aunt, who loved roosters, and we began to think about it. We knew there was some kind of biblical significance to the rooster, and so we started just kind of reading and the rooster in Scripture, it's, it's about Peter's denial, right? Jesus said, he said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows this morning. So we have this gigantic picture of a rooster in our kitchen. And it is, when we bought it, we said, this is what we're going to do with this picture. We're going to say, this is going to be a living picture to us that our failures are not the end of the story. That Jesus Christ redeems all of our failures all of our shame, all of our guilt, because that means Jesus is alive. That means that our story continue. The resurrection means that Jesus specializes in making dead things alive. That means you can never be too far. That means that it's never too late. That means that God offers you his great mercy. It also means Living hope means that anxiety does not win. Living hope means anxiety does not win. Anxiety happens when we feel exposed. Anxiety happens when we forget our hope. But because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, we have a certain hope and a certain future. Really what anxiety is, is some pain and trauma that happened in your past, and you're projecting that pain into the future, right? And we're forgetting the hope that we have in and through Jesus. Now, I don't know, how many of you have seen the movie The Sixth Sense? All right, all right, you don't have to be ashamed. It's all right. Um, I, I saw this movie <laughs> with my wife the, the day before we were engaged. And the reason that I remember this movie is not because it had any significant impact. Um, it was like plan B because we were going to get engaged the next day. And I had this elaborate plan that fell apart at the 12th hour, and we ended up at the movie The Sixth Sense. But this is what I remember about... Right? So, so the whole time, like, I'm actually, I, I'm wrestling. I'm like, why am I at this movie? I had this, I mean, it was a good plan. I'll, I'll share it with you one day. But, I mean, I'm sitting in this movie, and, you know, I mean, it's about Bruce Willis, and there's this kid that sees dead people. And, I mean, if, um, if you haven't seen it by now, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, don't worry about it, because I'm going to ruin it. But um, <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Willis, right? I mean, at the end of the movie, the twist is that he's dead, Right? And so I remember at that moment thinking, hey, I'm going to go back and watch this movie, and I'm going to see how all these parts move together. And, uh, but you know what? I never did that, right? I mean, it's been on probably every week on cable television for the last, I don't know, 17 years. I'm never tempted to watch The Sixth Sense ever again because I know the ending. Now, how that applies to Jesus being alive, uh, just stay with me, right? You know the end of the story, Right? The end of the story is that there is a salvation that is going to be revealed at the last time. So that means that anxiety does not win. Whatever you are afraid of gets swallowed up by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Whatever you are afraid of, whatever keeps you up at night, whatever concerns you will not concern you on that day. So the, the hope, the living hope that we have is to bring that story and make that story our story. 
right? Because what anxiety is ultimately is us wrestling with our stories, saying, I want a different story. I want to be the author of my story. I'm the one that gets to choose the way that this goes. But anxiety, right? I mean, it is a constant companion. And this is, this is what, I mean, God revealed this to me this morning, and it's precious. You're never, ever, 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 ever going to regret your story, right? When you see Jesus face to face, there will be no regrets. That's living hope, right? Even though you stumble, even though you fail, even though you fall, no regrets. That is living hope that we have because of Jesus. Now listen, I mean, you can turn over to chapter 5. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of God's care in the Bible. Chapter 5, verse 7, Peter says, Cast all of your cares and anxieties on him because he cares for you. He doesn't say, hey, beat yourself up because you got anxious. It seems that he knows that we're going to be grieved by various trials. That's the theme of 1 Peter, that don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. But he says, listen, when it does, you're going to be tempted to be anxious. And you can cast all of your fears and all of your anxieties on me because I care for you. Anxiety will not win. The resurrection of Jesus Christ swallows up everything that you are afraid of. Finally, living hope means pain will turn into praise. Pain will turn into praise. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Life as an exile. The truth is, you will suffer. The hope in suffering is not trying to figure out why you're suffering. The hope in suffering is that there is a God that identifies with your suffering. There's a God who endured the cross, that endured the darkest pain that exists in the universe, the full wrath of God, so that we would only know mercy and we would only know grace. The great hope for suffering people is the suffering God. The great hope for suffering people is that God did not stay dead, but he triumphed over everything that causes us pain. And there's going to be a day when he fully restores us and heals us, when we receive the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. But I love this because So oftentimes when we suffer and we go through various trials, right? God says you're grieved by them. And sometimes we can think of God as somehow being detached from the trials that we're in. Maybe like he's giving us a pop quiz or he's kind of standing outside of our trials, wondering how we're going to perform. And um, what he says in these verses is amazing. He says, you've been grieved by various trials. Some people in this room need to know that it's okay to be grieved by the trials that you're going through. The trials that you're going through actually grieve God. But we are the kinds of people that grieve, but not without hope. We have a God that knows suffering firsthand. Verse 7 says that 
suffering has a purifying effect. That means there is no such thing as meaningless pain for a Christian, right? This means that what you are going through right now doesn't mean that you have to love it. It doesn't mean that you have to somehow gain a stiff upper lip and be stoic. But what you're going through right now will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That will help you as you're going through the trial that you are going through. A living hope means that we can lose heart and we can lose perspective, but we never lose hope because hope is a person and Jesus is alive. So it means no matter what you're facing right now, that thing that looms so large, it means you're going to make it. It means you are being kept and guarded by God himself for an inheritance that's unfading, imperishable, that's kept in heaven for you. Like, that's the good news of the gospel. No matter how many trials come, no matter how much suffering enters your life. And listen, listen, for the Christian, this is what's true, right? This is as bad as it gets, right? And it's pretty good, right? The best is always yet to come for the believer in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have a living hope. We have a living hope. Now, I want to close with this story. Recently, I've been reading the book called Through the Eyes of a Lion by Levi Lusco. Levi Lusco uh, is a, a national speaker and author. He shared his story at Passion 2015. and His book centers around suffering. It centers around the loss of his daughter. He had a daughter named Linya, who the book is named for, who he says has the eyes of a lion. And he recounts the episode of her death like this. I mean, he was trained in CPR. She, had, she was an asthmatic. She would often suffer asthma attacks. And there was just one time that her breathing totally shut down. She was on the floor. She was collapsed. And he collapsed near her. I mean, and you just have to put yourself in his shoes. I mean, he's performing CPR on his daughter. His wife is in the other room, screaming and crying, calling the ambulance, calling 911. He keeps doing CPR the whole time. The paramedics arrive on the scene. They start to take over CPR. And and he says, like, does she have a heartbeat? And they said, not yet. So they go all the way to the hospital. They ride in the back of the ambulance and they're screaming and crying out to God. God, you gave us this life. We trust you, but we ask you to bring her back from the dead. Like that's their prayer all the way to the hospital. They get there. No resuscitation. They said, you've raised people from the dead before in scripture. Would you do this now? And they said, ultimately, the doctor had to come in and say, you're going to have to leave the room now. Like we have to change her body over to the coroner and she he said leaving her body in that moment was the most difficult experience of his life and I cannot imagine he says in that moment he said I hung on to the resurrection like a person that is shipwrecked would hold on to a piece of wood That was his only hope. That was the only thing that could get him out of the place of suffering. 
And what they did was amazing in that moment. They began to worship. They took a cue from Job. They said, God, you've given us this life. You give and you take away. And they surrendered her life to the Lord. And he said, and this is where the song that you sing and the trial that you're going through can turn into praise. He said that suffering is not an obstacle to you being used by God. What you're going through right now is the vehicle that God will use for you to do ministry for him, right? So that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't make it sad, not sad that he lost his daughter. But countless times he has been able to open up his mouth and he has been able to open up his home and proclaim resurrection hope to people in a fallen world that lose family members all the time, right? That's the hope that God gives us living hope. And this is, this is what I want to I close with. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So there is a day that everything that you're going through, you will turn that into a song of praise towards God. But listen, in the meantime, when you are grieved by various trials, Louis Giglio says it like this, Worship is a weapon, right? The song that you will sing then, you can sing now, right? Because, listen, what a privilege that we serve a God that we have not seen him, yet we love him. If there is any inkling in your heart right now that you love this God that you do not see, it is divine proof that he has loved you, right? We do not see him, yet we love him, and we are rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. The only thing that will sustain you in the darkest moments of your soul is a salvation that is completely outside of you. A salvation that is based on Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, that he has taken all of the punishment for your sins, and now he lives and he pleads for you. That is the only hope for the human race here this morning. That we have a song that we can sing about a Savior that's alive, a Savior that has conquered death, that there is going to be a funeral for death one day. There will be no more lineas in the world. There will be a day when death is defeated forever and we will rejoice as his people. That song is meant to inform the darkest parts of our life. This is the word of the Lord. This is what living hope means. This means that he's not finished with you. The thing that you think is going to break you is actually going to be the thing that he uses to bring you home. And I believe the Lord wants to encourage you. That faith is available to every person in this room. That living hope is available if you cast yourself on Jesus. If you've never experienced salvation that is full of glory, that is full of inexpressible joy, look at Jesus who endured everything on your behalf. Look at the empty tomb and believe. That is the invitation for every person in this room to believe in a living Savior and have living hope. That's the invitation. Living hope means anxiety doesn't win. And living hope means that the darkest moments of your life will be turned into praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us 
a salvation that is inexpressible and full of glory. I pray that the song that we sing now will be inexpressible and full of glory. I pray that living hope would take up residence in the hearts and lives in this room. I pray that you would break down walls of quiet resignation and existing on this planet and you would birth living hope. I pray that you would move us from death to life, that you would move us from unbelief to hope, and that we would rejoice regardless of our circumstances because you have defeated death, hell, and the grave. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.